thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for um, having me. As you can see, I am indeed wearing blue. So Edward got the colour right when he said I was wearing blue. But it's lovely to be with you. And I've already recognised some of you from when I was here about 11 years ago, which is really nice. But hopefully I'll recognise more of you before the day is over. But um, as I just said, I'm just talking a bit about pain today. And you've probably all gathered that I'm deaf. Obviously, I just explained that I lost my hearing. I know some of you have seen the J. John. And Edward kind of gave it to us homework, didn't he? But I'm not going to ask the show of hands who actually watched it. But if you did watch it or do watch it, you'll see a bit of my story. So I'm going to take, a, take an assumption that a lot of my story is kind of known. But if you did watch the J. John, what you would have seen is a stage. And you'll have seen J. John sitting there, facing me sitting there. So both of us in chairs, facing each other, talking. What you won't have seen is me getting onto that stage. Now, it's fine to see me sitting there, isn't it? But it was really difficult for me to get on there. In fact, in the end, two of J. John's team had to come on each side and lift me onto the stage because my legs are weak due to these tumours. I couldn't get on the stage. And in some ways, that's a bit like... What a lot of us are with pain, isn't it? We see the sitting on the stage, everything's fine, I'm chatting, but we don't see the bit underneath. So today, I'm going to be talking um, a bit about pain. Now, I've got this to show you. Normally, this hangs on my wall at home. And to me, this symbolises pain. Now, maybe you feel pain just looking at it. I don't know, maybe you don't like it. But I'm not talking about whether or not you actually like it. I'm going to show you why it symbolises pain to me. Hopefully it will open. If I open it, it's actually a mirror. And that mirror hangs on my wall at home. And I'm going to tell you why I chose that mirror. Because I can close the mirror off. Now, I bought that uh, after one of my surgeries when my facial nerve was damaged, which I didn't talk about on Joe John, but you may have noticed half of my face doesn't really move. It was damaged in one of my surgeries. And I thought, I don't want to look in the mirror. I don't want to look in the mirror ever again. But sometimes you do need to look in the mirror when you brush your hair or whatever. So I thought, okay, I'll have a quick look in the mirror, then I'll shut it off. I'm just going to put this over here. And I think perhaps that's what sometimes we have when we think about pain. We shut it off. We don't want to acknowledge it. So today, as I say, we're talking about pain. And we're keeping that mirror open. I invite you to all keep that mirror open and hold your pain today. Now, I do go to the doctor an awful lot. Lovely doctors I have, thankfully, but I have lots and lots of doctor's appointments. When I walk in, the first thing they say to me, without fail, is, how are you? So I walk into the doctor, how are you? Without fail, my response is, oh, I'm fine, thank you. I always say to the doctor, I'm fine, thank you, even though Quite often, I've literally limped in or been wheeled in a wheelchair. I still say, I'm fine, thank you. It's kind of like my default. And I imagine lots of us are the same. Lots of us are the same. You go to the doctor, or whoever it might be, or people say to you, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. 
even if you're not really fine. Sometimes that can, that's what it can be like. And the next thing the doctor says to me is, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how is your pain today? On a scale of 1 to 10, how is your pain? I know it's one of the hardest questions I find to answer because I think, well, I've got nothing to compare it to. How can I just pick a random number and say what my pain is? My first instinct is to compare my pain to get, if you like, a number. But today, we're not comparing our pain with anybody else's pain. Pain is pain. I'm sure all of us go through difficult things, and maybe we're tempted to belittle what we go through. But don't do that today. Pain is pain. It's all valid. We all have pain. But before I talk about pain, I do just want to make one thing really clear. And this came about from a conversation that I had with a friend of mine recently. Uh, She has MS. And I was talking to her about pain. And she said to me, in fact, I've written it down. She said, I wonder what I did wrong. I wonder what I did wrong to have all my pain. And as I say, I'm not talking about why we have pain today. We'll talk about that later if you'd like to. Not that I've got all the answers, because I really haven't, but I'm happy to talk about it. But the thing I want to make I do not believe all pain is because of something we individually have done wrong. I don't believe I have my tumours because of something I did wrong, some way I messed up. I don't believe that a lot of what we pain, what, a lot of the pain we go through is because of something we've done. As I say, my friend says, I wonder what I did wrong to cause me this suffering. I'm just, just saying I don't believe that she necessarily did anything wrong. Uh, suffering is a part of life. But as I say, I'm not really talking about why today. I'm talking about the fact that we have it. We all have pain, don't we? As I say, the mirror is open this morning. I just want to read a few verses from the book of Mark. I've got a few verses throughout this morning, but they will come up on the screen. Just this passage from Mark chapter 10, I'm just going to read to you. Okay, so it's about the rich young ruler. And as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not fraud, honour your parents. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, come and follow me. But the man was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So that's from Mark chapter 10. Um, in a sense, that rich young ruler who ran up to Jesus and said, I've kept all these commandments. In a sense, I think what he was actually saying to Jesus is saying, hey, I'm fine. I'm fine, thank you. I've kept all this. I'm fine. 
But Jesus showed quite clearly in that passage that he doesn't need I'm fine. Maybe sometimes we feel that we have to portray this I'm fine image, but Jesus doesn't need that. God doesn't need that. He looks right through it. And he said to the man, actually, you're not fine. And maybe he looks through things that we say we're fine about. And he looks through that and he says, actually, you're not fine, are you? You're not fine. But the key thing is, he looks at the thing that's not fine in that man's life. And the first thing it says is he loves him. So when he looks at things that aren't fine in our lives, he still loves us. It can be easy to forget that. But Jesus looks at the not fine bits and he loves anyway. We don't need, I can't emphasize this enough, we do not need to be fine in order for Jesus to love us. So Jesus says to this rich man, he says to him, if you want to live, if you want your request granted, if you like, if you want to live, you need to let go. You need to let go. Now, I've had to let go, and I do have to let go, again and again and again. When things are difficult, things don't work out how I want. I have to let go. One thing I used to do way back in the day before I lost my hearing and everything else, I used to play the flute. I used to play lots of uh, musical instruments, actually, but one of them was the flute. I played it an awful lot in worship bands, in orchestras, solos. I would play this flute all the time. And then suddenly... My face got damaged. Now, I don't know what you know about the flute, but to play the flute, you have to have quite a tight embouchure. So you have to have the flute like that and blow across. I couldn't do that anymore because my face was damaged. But I managed to struggle on, and then I lost my hearing. So I couldn't hear the music. I struggled to play it, and I stopped even trying. But the thing is, I couldn't get rid of my flute. Even though I couldn't play it, I couldn't get rid of it. It was part of who I used to be, so I held on to the flute. And God began to whisper to me a long time. I mean, I held on to that flute for a long time, months if not years. And God began to whisper to me, Emily, do you think you should get rid of that flute? And I said, no, I'm holding on, holding on to that flute. And other people, my man, would say, maybe you should get rid of that flute now. And I would say, no, not getting rid of it. And time went on. And so in the end, God whispered again and again, get rid of your flute. And in the end, I said, okay, I will. And the next day, as it so happened, <laughs> well, a, a, a God incident's not a coincidence. Um, somebody came to my house, and I knew she played the flute. And I said to her, would you like my flute? And she burst into tears. She'd longed, she'd been praying for a flute for so long. And her husband had said, God will provide you. God will provide you with a flute. And then that day when I actually let go of my flute and gave it to her, she was blessed. But you know what? I was blessed too. You might think, oh, all I could think of was her playing it in her church worship band, all the things I could no longer do. But actually, no. I was just so glad because I wasn't holding on to that pain anymore. She could play that flute. And sometimes we do need to let go of things, things that we hold on to, things that give us pain. Let go of them. Give them to God and then your hands are open to see what new blessings he might have for you. But the rich man in our story, he couldn't let go. He could not let go of, for him, it was money. If you like, my flute 
for him was money. But whatever it was, he couldn't let go. Because if he'd let go, he'd have had to accept that life looked different. Life was going to look different if he let go of that money. I felt like I was having to accept life would look different when I let go of my flute. But what happened, what did we read in the story? When the man couldn't let go, he went away sad. He went away sad. So this is a bit of sign language. <laughs> um, so if you imagine, that's Jesus. That's the man. And the closest can be, the man goes away sad. Jesus is there. Jesus doesn't go anywhere. It's the man that moves. And one thing I have learned, even in the struggles to let go of things, the struggles that I go through, the difficult things in my life, which if you'll know from the J. John, one thing I have learned, do not go away sad. You can stay sad. I've stayed sad. I've cried with God, cried and cried, but I stay with him. Don't go away sad. You may, well, those who've seen the J. John interview will remember, possibly, that a question J. John said to me. He said, what do you do? What do you do when you're really angry at God, when you're sad at God, when you're cross with him? What do you do? And I said, tell him. I tell God. I do. I have ranted it and I've been cross with him. I've said, I can't do this anymore. But the thing is, don't go away sad. God can take it, but we need to stay there with him. Don't go away. Now, I can't remember if I mentioned this in in the interview or not, but I do have uh, three sisters, quite a big family, and two of my sisters have got children. So I've got five nieces and nephews who are great. I love them to bits. They're wonderful. And I actually saw them on Tuesday this week. I saw them after school. And my little nephew is five. His name's Caleb. And there he was, coming after school. He was playing. I saw him. He was still wearing his school uniform. And I saw he had a sticker on his T-shirt. It was a star. And I said, oh, wow, you've got a sticker. You know, good for you. What did you get that sticker for? And do you know what he said to me? He said, I was given a well-done sticker because I didn't feel very well at school today. And I didn't cry. He was given the sticker because he didn't feel very well at school and he didn't cry. And can we have, can we have the first slide? Thank you. This is, oops, yeah. A verse from Revelation. Uh, you can read it yourself, but I'll just read a bit of it. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now Caleb's school rewarded him for not crying. You know what the kids I mean to me that verse is very gentle. Jesus will wipe every tear away. But how's that possible if we're not even supposed to have tears? It's okay to cry. Remember the story of Lazarus, Jesus' friend. He died, didn't he? And Jesus went to be with the family, to, you know, visit the grave. And uh, Lazarus was dead. What did Jesus do? He cried. He cried with them. He stayed with them. And he cried. Significantly, what he didn't do, he didn't say, oh, don't worry about it. Stop crying. It's going to be fine. I'm going to bring Lazarus back to life. I'm going to heal him. Everything's going to be okay. No, 
he stopped and cried. Now, I'm not going to talk about healing right now. I'm happy to talk about that later. But I'm just talking about the fact that Jesus himself stayed in their pain. And if we're going to learn from Jesus what we want to do, he's our example to follow. We need to learn to stay with ourselves and with people in pain. And perhaps, yes, that might mean crying with them. But it's really tempting I know it's really tempting to try and fix things straight away. Really tempting to see a problem, see see an illness, and say, okay, let's heal that. Let's pray to God for healing. And I know that's true because I've had it done myself. I'll give you an example. I had a meeting somewhere, and afterwards, a few of us needed to get the bus to the train station. So we were standing at the bus stop talking. And I didn't know these people very well. I kind of, I knew them from meetings, but I didn't know them that well. We're standing at the rest stop in the rain as it happened. And suddenly a man came up. We didn't know him. And he came right up to me, started talking to me straight away. He had seen my crutch. Now, I haven't got my, I have got a crutch, actually. It's, it's somewhere around. I, I forget it a lot because sometimes I can walk. But if I'm outside, I need a crutch to help me balance. So I had this crutch with me. And the man saw me standing at a rest stop with a crutch. He came over to me, I didn't know him, and he said, I think God wants to heal you. Can I pray for you? And that is a rest stop in the rain, surrounded by these people. And I didn't quite know what to say. It took me by surprise. But I said yes. I don't know what you'd have said, but I said yes, okay. I did say, shall we move, uh, move away a bit? And, to be honest, I didn't actually think God was going to heal me. I didn't think I could throw my crutch away. I didn't think I was going to be able to hear. But, was saying to me, I believe you're going to be healed. And sometimes part of pain is actually dealing with other people's expectations. And sometimes it's really hard. But, you know... Uh, well, it's, it, as I say, it's just really, really hard. But this man came and he prayed with me. And then afterwards, the first thing he said to me was, are you feeling better now? Are you feeling better now? And the pressure <laughs> is unbelievable. Because actually I wasn't. I wasn't feeling better. But there he was, and I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to, if you like, knock his face. And... So, so what I said to him was, I'm feeling very blessed because you're afraid for me. And who knows what God will do. Maybe I'll feel better later, I don't know. But then the man went away and I thanked him for praying for me. But I'm just saying that kind of thing happens. People really, really want to help. And that's actually really nice. <laughs> yes, it was hard for that man. But if you can look beyond that and realize that his heart wanted to help. Now, maybe he didn't go about it in the right way. Maybe he did. But I don't always know how to help people in the right way. But if we can look and see that they want to help, that actually helps us deal with that. It's hard for other people as well as the person going through pain. You know, it's hard for other people watching. 
Now, sometimes we forget that. I know when I was first diagnosed, am I honest? And I was in hospital, and it was all really bad, intensive care, all the rest of it. If you've seen Jane jo- J. John, you'll know all about that. But I know very early on, I decided this is not going to affect anybody else. This is not going to affect my family. This is my pain. My friends, my family can get on with their lives, and it's fine. But <laughs> I very quickly realized I can't do that. I can't do that because it comes back to love. People love us, and that means that their pain, when they see us going through pain, is difficult. And yet, I'm going to tell you part of what uh, helps me. I don't know if you have a favorite verse in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you what my favorite verse is. Can we have it on the screen? It's, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So if that's me, that is, I'm surrounded by Christ in God. All of us are. So actually anything that comes at us, it comes through God first. It comes through that being surrounded by Jesus. And if we can remember that we are protected the whole time, then for me, it really, really helps. Anything that comes at us, well-meaning people, whether or not they get it right, we are protected by Jesus. We're surrounded by Jesus. One thing I think is quite helpful when we see somebody who's struggling, going through pain, and yes, we want to help, we want to pray for them, but we might not know how to pray. And sometimes, perhaps that's why this man launched into, I'm going to pray for healing. What about going up to somebody and saying, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you is a good question. Because sometimes, and there's been a lot of discussion about this actually on Twitter, sometimes people don't actually want to be healed. Maybe they would like some prayer for, I don't know, an exam they've got that week or a hospital appointment. We make that assumption that healing is everything. But actually ask, how would you like me to pray for you? See the person not the problem, straight away. See the person, not the problem. And something else I would suggest is also sometimes say, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? You know, just because we're disabled, just because we're going through pain ourselves, doesn't mean that we can't also pray for other people. So ask, ask people, can you pray for me? Let me have the next slide. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Now, carry, it does not say fix. It does not say fix each other's burdens. Now, it's really tempting, I know. We live in a fix-it world, don't we? And it's really tempting to fix everything. But carry is not the same as fix. Carry is saying, okay, I'm with you in this. And maybe that will be a short carry. Maybe we'll carry it for a very short time and then healing will happen, which is wonderful. <laughs> in case anyone's in any doubt, I 100% believe God can heal. I do believe 100% that God can heal, but he doesn't always do it. And also he doesn't always give a quick fix. So let's be people that rather than fix each other's burdens, let's carry each other's burdens. Now I'll give you an example of when my mum over there carried my burden. So I could pick, there's loads of examples I could pick that she's carried, but this one specific one 
it was a time when I was, um, well, obviously I'm deaf, and I was deaf, that I developed a really bad eye infection at the same time. So my eyes had to be taped shut, which meant I could see nothing. I could see nothing. <laughs> I could hear nothing, and I was in a lot of pain as well. So literally, I would sit, get through a day, go to bed, get through the night, get up, sit, get through the day, go to bed, get through the night, repeat, repeat, repeat. And one evening, my family were going to a concert, a music concert, and they've been looking forward to it for a long time, <laughs> before this you know, phase of my eyes and everything happened. They've been looking forward to it. And so they all got ready to go one evening, put their coats on, off, off they went, sort of tapped me and felt onto my hand, bye, because I couldn't see or hear, obviously. And off they went to this concert. I sat there in my silent, dark world, and in a sense was just waiting, trying to get through the pain, when suddenly I felt someone sit down on the sofa beside me. And looking back, it didn't occur to me that somebody had broken into the house or anything like that. It didn't, it didn't occur to me at all. But somebody sat down, I put out my hand, and my hand met what I recognised as my men's jumper. I think she was wearing quite a tactile, tactile clothes at that time, so I could feel them. And I felt her jumper. And I said to her, what are you doing? Why aren't you at the concert? And she felt onto my hand. She said, I'm not going. And I said, well, why? You've been looking forward to it for ages. Go to the concert. And she said, no. Well, I thought it was fell off. But she said, no. She said, I'm staying here. And I said to her, well, what's the point? Why would you stay? You can't do anything. You can't fix anything. And she said, no. She said, I can't fix anything, but I'm staying anyway. As I say, I told her not to stay. I said, no, don't stay. And essentially was saying, look, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to carry your burden with you. And I said, no. I said, no, in a sense, I said, I don't want you to carry my burden. And maybe sometimes that's what we say to people. We push them away and we say, no, I don't want you to carry this with me. But even further, when we say no to people like that, can I suggest that actually we're saying to them, I don't want you to fulfill the law of Christ. And that's actually a very serious thing, to say to somebody, I don't want you to fulfill the law of Christ. That's essentially what I was saying to my mum. But perhaps when we say to people, I'm fine, even when we're not fine, maybe we're saying to them, I don't want you to fulfill the law of Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that person. I sometimes am that person, but I want to be somebody who helps other people fulfill the law of Christ. One more thing on the carrying each other's burdens. We need to tell each other. We need to tell each other what burdens we've got to carry. And that is hard. That is hard. But if somebody's going to carry it, they need to see it. So I encourage us to tell each other and let each other fulfill the law of Christ. Let me have the next slide. Okay, that's from Jeremiah. It says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before I formed you, I chose you. That's God speaking. And from that verse, I don't know about you, but I get actually doing is not a prerequisite to being chosen. 
doing is not our way to being chosen. Before we did a single thing, God chose us anyway. I'm just going to give you a bit of an example. Uh, excuse me. A bit of an example from uh, NF2, which is the shortened version of my condition, which Edward didn't attempt to say. My whole condition is called neurofibromatosis type 2. You can see why he didn't attempt to say that. But it's NF2. And we have a... Um, I think it's quarterly. I ought to know because I'm a trustee, but I think it's quarterly. Magazine that um, you know, people contribute to, and it's information about the condition and what's happening in studies and what people are doing. And, you know, I open the magazine, and there is page after page of people saying, I did a skydive to raise money. I did this to raise money. I ran a marathon, skydive, whatever it might be, which is great. And a lot of these are people who've got NF2 and they're able to do the skydive, which is wonderful. Really good. It should be celebrated. But what is never in there is, I made a cup of tea this morning. Or, I managed to sit up in bed for the first time in six weeks. That sort of thing is never in there. But, you know, it should be. It really should be because we should celebrate every, every achievement that happens. Sometimes, and I'm telling, well, I'm not telling you from full experience because I've never skydived, but I have attempted to sit up in bed after being flat on my back for six weeks, and it is hard. It is really, really hard. But the world so often says, what do you do? It's the first question, what do you do? What do you do? It's all about doing. But this verse, we were chosen by God before we did a single thing. One of my doctors, who is now retired, so I'm not, hopefully not sundering him too much, but anyway, he's retired. But I used to see him very frequently. As I say, I had all these surgeries. He was one of my surgeons, so very good. And, and he was a lovely man, lots of, lots of good surgeries I had with him. But every time I went into his clinic room, the first question he would say to me, actually, even before, how are you? The first question he would say, what do you do? What do you do? And I'm telling you, I hated it. I, I, used to, I literally began to psych myself up for that question. Because what I did was get through the day. That's all I, I got through day after day after day. And there's a story in the Bible, you probably know, the story about the talents. And I'm not going to talk so much about the, the, the three men who were given these talents. And I'm not going to talk about the one who buried them. But I'm going to talk about the one who was given five. And then when his master came back, he doubled it to ten. And another one was given ten. When his master came back, he doubled it to twenty. And to the one who doubled the five to ten, the master said, well done. Well done. To the one who doubled ten to twenty, the master says, well done. Well done. Now, in a sense, they'd done different things, but they'd done what they could with what they had. And they both had a well done. Now, my brother-in-law, well, two of my brothers-in-law, actually, are South African. And I, well, one of them particularly, he really, really doesn't like the phrase well done. If you say to somebody, well done, he doesn't like it. He thinks it's really patronising. He says, you know, after, five, after somebody's about five, don't say well done, it's really patronising. I disagree. 
disagree with him full stop. Well done are two of my favorite words. So let's be people who say well done, even to ourselves. You know, if you manage to make a cup of tea and that's all you managed that day, well, well done you. Well done. And let's be people who remember that God says well done as well. God celebrates us. God says well done for what we can achieve. Uh, I'm just going to move on to, can we have another one? To the Apostle Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Remember Paul, he had a thorn in the side, which we don't know what it is. Possibly it was to do with his eyesight, but we don't know that for sure. But whatever it is, he had pain. He had pain. He went through difficult things, and three times he begged God to take away the pain, take away the problem. Three times, take it away, take it away. Please take it away. And God said no. Each time God said no. So he didn't say no full stop. He said no, but, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And what does my grace is sufficient for you actually mean? It means you can do this. That's essentially what God is saying. You can do it. You've got my grace. And sometimes maybe we feel that we can't. We can't go on. Life is too hard. But actually, we've got a God who says to you, with my grace, you actually can do it. A God who believes in us and who sticks with us. Basically, who gives us enough to get through whatever pain we might be going through. To be honest with you, I don't know how people get through pain without God. I see people who somehow do, people who've got enough too. And I look at them and I think, how on earth are you doing this without God? And I'm glad we never need to go away sad. We can stay with God, however we are feeling. I was recently asked to start writing a monthly newsletter. Now, I'll be honest, I wasn't very keen on the idea. I'm still not. I've managed to do it for about four months now. And it's kind of scrabbling around for interesting things from the events in my life. But anyway, my publisher told me that it was a good thing to do. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So I started writing this newsletter. But the first thing I needed to do was find something to call it. And I knew exactly what I wanted to call it straight away. And I wanted to call it the thing that I actually wanted to call my memoir, which is actually called Still Emily. But that wasn't my first choice of title. My first choice of title, which was rejected by my publisher, was Greedy for Grace. Greedy for Grace. Because that's what I am. More and more, I want more of God's grace in my life, and I wanted to call it Greedy for Grace. So I decided, in a little act of rebellion against my publisher, okay, I'm going to call my newsletter Greedy for Grace instead. So I have a newsletter that is called Greedy for Grace. But that's what, as God's people, we can be. Now, often I know greedy can have negative connotations. Don't be greedy, don't be greedy. But I'm saying, yeah, we can be greedy for grace. Be as greedy as you like. Have as much grace as you can. Paul's strength was made perfect in weakness. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And that can be quite difficult in some ways because it means we will have weakness. We will have weakness. But it means the weaker we are, the more room there is for God's strength. And really, that's what we want, isn't it? We want more of God's strength in our lives, which means, yeah, 
we will be weak. Maybe we'll get weaker. But if I can put it like this, the weaker we are, the more of God's strength we can have. But the weaker for me, certainly, it means things in my life are taken away. I have a surgery. I can't walk straight. I have a surgery. I lose my hearing. This, that, and the other. I'm sure we all have equivalents that when things happen, they're taken away in life. Maybe dreams, maybe things we hoped for, and suddenly they're gone. They're taken away. When things are taken away, they leave a gap, don't they? They leave a gap. But we have a choice. What are we going to fill the gaps with? Are we going to fill them with bitterness? Or are we going to fill them with God's grace? Being greedy for grace, people, I think will fill them with God's grace. Now, just, I'll, I'll finish in a minute, but I just want to say one more thing. I want to talk a little bit about Jesus. Before Jesus went to the cross, basically, he said, I don't want to do this. It's hard. This is tough. He said to God, take this away. Take this away. But he also prayed, glorify your name. Glorify your name. He knew what was coming. He knew tough things were coming. And he prayed, glorify your name. Now, one surgery that I had was on fine. And a cert- the surgeon, not the surgeon who would always ask me what I do, a different surgeon, he said to me, we're going to operate, and when you wake up, it's likely that you'll be paralysed from the waist down. And I didn't want to be paralysed from the waist down. That was a really, really difficult thing for me to face. But that's what the surgeon had said. And I went home, and I prayed to God, and I read my Bible, and I came across this glorify your name prayer. And I thought, oh, why don't I pray that? Why don't I pray glorify your name? And then everything will be fine. What could be better than God being glorified by me not being paralyzed? By me walking out of that hospital after surgery. So I prayed, glorify your name. And I thought, great, everything's going to be fine. Then I read, carried on reading, and the answer to Jesus' glorify your name prayer from God is, I have glorified it. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And I thought, oh, has he glorified it in my life? Well, yes. People all over the world have prayed for me, prayed me through surgeries. Literally, that's the only reason I'm alive. You know, I, they nearly switched my intensive care bed off, machine off. But people prayed. And yes, God has been glorified. People have praised him for what they've seen happen. But I never still haven't been healed. So glorify your name. I have glorified it. I've glorified it in your suffering. And so I went in for this surgery. I woke up after eight hours of surgery, lying flat on the bed, and I could not move my legs. I couldn't move them. I thought, in fact, that's the first thing I said. I can't move my legs. I'm in pain. My legs are hurting, but I can't move them. And so clearly, the glorify your name that I hoped for wasn't happening. But during those long weeks in hospital, and I'm talking weeks and weeks before my leg even twitched, and gradually, as you can see, I have been able to rehabilitate to walk. But during those weeks in hospital, God was glorified. God was glorified when I cried with a patient, when she cried with me. 
when I laughed with the patient, when she laughed with me, when I prayed with the patient, God was glorified, but just not how I wanted. And sometimes we tell God how to glorify himself, but actually God, he can glorify himself if we just let him fill the gaps with his glory. Uh, as I say, it wasn't how I wanted, but it was how God wanted to be glorified. And I learned that God's glory shows up in unexpected places. It really does. It shows up in unexpected places. So look for his glory. Come on, just have another slide. Thank you. So Jesus called out, this is Jesus on the cross. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And to be honest, to me, that is how we can live with pain. That is what we can do, letting go of needing to understand. Maybe one of you here understands pain absolutely. If you do, please come and tell me. I personally do not have all the answers to pain. But when I can reach a place, when I say it's okay that I don't understand, it's okay that I don't know why, 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 I can let go and I can put, if you like, my spirit into God. When we let go of needing to understand, we do find release, even in our pain. I can promise you that because I have personally experienced it. So I just... Chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? In, in a sense, who can make us go like that rather than stay like that with Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or anything else we go through? No. In all these things, and these things, remember, it's talking about pain, talking about painful things. In all these painful things, we are more than conquerors. In a sense, we're winners, even in our pain. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm persuaded, and I hope you're persuaded of this too, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We never need to be like that. We can be like that all the time. Amen. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing those insights. They're really, really helpful. And um, not only for those who are in pain, but for those who are sharing in that carrying mm-hmm. in that. really appreciate it. I'm aware of time. If there's a couple of questions and then we're, we're going to come to communion and I, I love what you shared some of the, the verses that they all point us to this place. And I'll reinforce that in a minute. But if there's anyone who's got an immediate question or would want maybe a clarification or Emily just to speak to that, then please let me know. Wave. No questions. Sorry. <laughs> Emily is there. She's not rushing off. So, um. As I was listening to you, Emily, and 